welcome. Legally Brief presents Changing Our Institutions. I'm your host, Judy Saunders. I'm a lawyer who works with private and public companies, educational institutions, and sports organizations to identify root causes, confront historic failures, and boldly implement change to our institutions. This podcast is for corporate change agents, disruptors, and mindset mavericks who are committed to making our institutions work better for themselves and the next generation. I want to remind you that while I hope you enjoy every episode in the series that we're doing on changing our institutions, the content of this programming is not a substitute for speaking directly with an attorney who understands your unique circumstances. If you're looking for past episodes or information, please head on over to my website. There you'll find information and you can sign up for newsletters and you can learn more about me and my practice. I'm glad you're here. Let's get ready and let's talk and make some changes. Hello, and welcome back to a bonus episode of Legally Brief. I particularly love doing these bonus episodes because what that really is code for is that I was going about a what would have been a normal morning or a normal afternoon and something that I thought that would be interesting to my listeners and that I wanted to discuss with them popped up either in a news feed or some other worthy piece of information, a court ruling. That happened this morning. So as I'm recording this, it's Friday, February 25th, 2022. And we've learned that President Biden has selected a nominee, his next nominee to the United States Supreme Court. And that individual is Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. Previously, the president had stated that he would fulfill a promise and nominate the first African-American woman to the Supreme Court. That in itself made lots of news, but now that the selection has happened, there were a number of different individuals, candidates that were being vetted, but this is the person that President Biden has decided to put forth. When I think about what that means, the wider implications, of course, there never have previously been a female African-American that was nominated that, of course, excites me. I share, you know, I'm an African-American female. I am also within this profession working as an attorney. So there's, you know, that commonality. But I know that that is a source of criticism. And individuals may state, well, we don't want one there to be the focus on that there's a minority, there's an African-American, or that there's even gender, that there's a female. We want the best qualified candidate. So you always get those arguments. And I don't want to spend this episode, and the purpose of this episode is not to refute critics, but it's really to say that what we have now is a nominee, just a nominee, not confirmed yet, but we have a nominee that has the opportunity to do what it is that you, the listener, what I, as part of this show, work toward, think about, do deep dives into, and that's creating institutions institutions that work for their constituency, whether it's an academic institution, 
whether in this case it's the judiciary, the civil, the, the criminal court systems, whether it's a hospital system, business or corporations, we are always looking for ways to make these institutions work better. Whether the institution is historic and it's plagued by toxicity because of different, because of discrimination, whether it's plagued by having been built improperly and there's systemic racism, systemic issues. How can we take real actions to make them better? And that's why I was excited to jump on and record this because in the nomination of Judge Jackson, I see that we have an opportunity to create a judicial system that will trickle down and that trickle down to the lower courts, because we know the Supreme Court is the top court in the U.S. You have the different federal courts, you have the state courts, district courts, trial courts. But what's important is that these decisions that are made in the courts, they impact us all, our children, our families. If we're business owners, the courts rule on employment cases, they rule on reproductive rights, they rule on school cases. So we're not going to get around, we're not going to get away from the impact that the court system has on our lives. And that's why it is imperative that this system in particular is staffed by judges, by attorneys, by clerks, support staff that reflect our country. And what do we mean by that? That's a catchphrase. What I really mean by that, I mean that reflect a collection of lived experiences. Individuals who are curious, who have been exposed, individuals who have been impacted both positively and negatively by life experiences, and individuals who seem and appear to be adaptable, open to change, and have faced adversity and hardship. That's the type of individuals that I want to be staffed in any institution that I know that I have to interact with. So what do we know about Judge Jackson? Well, I'll tell you right now, and I stated before that there is some commonality. She and I are in the same profession. Her career is to be celebrated and applauded. We, I also know in something that I, I have to just give me two seconds here. We have the commonality. We're the same age. Washington, D.C. is where the seed was planted. I see that she's from Washington, D.C., from the district. I wonder, does she familiar? I'm sure she is with that tin can beat. And if you're from the D.C. area, I had to give a shout out to that. You'll, that's a little inside joke. She's also a parent. She has two daughters. After being born in Washington, D.C., it's my understanding that she was raised and spent formative years in the South, in Florida. Father was an attorney. Mother was an educator. After attending Harvard Law School, she actually clerked for Justice Breyer, whose seat she's now being nominated. She clerked for him in 1999. And as part of Barack Obama's administration, was interviewed as a possible candidate to take over Justice Antony Scalia's seat, vacancy on the Supreme Court. We also know that she served as a federal public defender. So has direct experience and understanding of the criminal justice system, which is a huge part of the judicial system. I anticipate that over the course of the upcoming Senate confirmation hearings, that critics will find that her work as a federal public defender and her background will be a source of critique and a reason to disqualify her. So we can expect that. One commentator already noted 
when I was looking at doing a little bit of research, that Judge Jackson has a, quote, unusual background. That was then followed up by details about family that she has that had served time in a prison. Here's what I do know. I know that as we seek to become more diverse and as we seek to look for individuals that have greater diversity in their lived experiences, we're going to have people that have been affected by the criminal justice system. And when I say affected, I mean that word expansively. Because being affected by the criminal justice system doesn't only mean that you serve time in a city or county jail or prison. It also means that you have an uncle, a son, a brother, a cousin, a neighbor, a parent who may have been impacted or served time incarcerated in prison. That also means that. But it's exciting to note that Judge Jackson may have been or may be the only judge on the Supreme Court that has direct experience in the criminal justice system. That's a really powerful thing for an individual that's going to be writing laws that deal directly with our Fourth Amendment, right? With search and seizure, with different rights that are guaranteed and as part of the criminal justice system, due process, the right to be heard, the right to an attorney. That we want someone who understands that process. She served as a public defender and she also served on the U.S. Sentencing Commission and wrote opinions or weighed in on specifically the federal prison sentences that were handed down for what are some of the worst sentences for crack cocaine and the implication that that's had on communities of color. She, during that term working on that commission, she was not shy about weighing in and talking about what those sentences, what they did and the wide reach that it had negatively on communities of color. She served for two years in the DC Public Defender Service. And she said about that time that before going there, before serving as a public defender, she lacked a practical understanding of the actual workings of the federal criminal justice system. And she wanted to spend time serving in the trenches. That to me states that there's curiosity, that she wants to understand firsthand what it means to be a judge, what it means to be a really informed attorney, what it means to be and to have lived experiences and then to bring that. You don't want to be a counselor. You don't want to sit in a position of authority ruling on other people's lives and how and decisions that will impact other people's lives when you have no experience, when you have no connection. We also know and when we look at, so during the upcoming hearings, one of the things that the senators will look at even the White House looked at, they'll go back. I'm sure they've gone back to things that she's written in elementary school, but they also look at the college career, opinions that she wrote as a federal judge. And there's one opinion that I wanted to share with you that will give you just a little bit of a peek into some of the, the expansion of her thinking and the depth that she gives 
So in 2019, officials in Donald Trump's White House were subpoenaed by a congressional committee to testify in relation to Congress's investigation into Donald Trump's dealings with Russia. The president and the Department of Justice that were staffed by President Trump's attorneys and advisors at the time opposed the congressional subpoena. In particular, they opposed the congressional subpoena of Donald McGahn, who was the former White House counsel to Mr. Trump. And in doing so, the Department of Justice, in this opinion that Judge Jackson ruled on, and the opinion was 120 pages. The Department of Justice, their position was that Donald Trump held the authority and the power to evoke an immunity and to resist this attorney from testifying before Congress and to resist also the subpoena. So let me read quickly, let me gloss over quickly some of Judge Jackson's, how she addresses and answers Donald Trump's and those Department of Justice at that time, those attorneys. She says for their part, for the Department of Justice, they are asserting that there is a longstanding, that there's a basis that there can be a defiance in avoiding Congress valid the subpoena and the president has ordered him not to. Further, that if you are essentially, if you are part of Donald Trump's high level staff members, in this case, White House counsel, that you have an absolute testimonial immunity and that you can't be compelled to testify before Congress. Also, that the president was attempting and part of the opinion discusses how the president was attempted to evoke an executive privilege over current and former testimony and also the testimony of his attorney, McGahn, and that the aid, this aid, need not accede to the lawful demands of Congress. Judge Jackson went on to say, reciting that, simply put, that for the past 250 years of recorded American history, and a president, and she's quoting from the Federalist Papers, that the president is not a king and that individuals that work for the president are not subjects bound by loyalty or blood whose destiny are controlled, basically controlled by the president. Rather, Judge Jackson said, in this land of liberty, it is indisputable that current and former employees of the White House work for the people of the United States and that they take an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. Moreover, as citizens of the United States, current and former senior level presidential aides have constitutional rights, excluding the right to free speech, and they retain these rights even as they transition back and back to private life. That's what we want when we're talking about our public, our private institutions. We want an individual that is not confused about who gives and who holds power. You may be in a position of authority, but in this country, you do not have absolute authority. When you're working, when you're serving in institutions at the behest of voters, 
at the behest of taxpayers. That opinion gives us just a peek into ways and how she sees her role as an authority figure, her role within the institution of the court systems. Judge Jackson, I was saying before, is also a parent to two children. I think one of the children is a teenager, 18 or 19, and the other child is a 21-year-old. I guess not a child, actually. If you're a parent and you're wondering what Judge Jackson's experience has been and how that's impacted her career and what we'll see. When Judge Jackson worked briefly for a Boston law firm, this is what she had to state partially about that experience. I don't know about the whole experience. She says, you start to feel as though the demands of the billable hours are constantly in conflict with the needs of your children. So we know that we have an individual, a candidate in Judge Jackson, who understands what it is to be a working parent, what it is to have that constant tension, the need to balance work, the need to balance lifestyle, and to be a caregiver to children. We're looking for a candidate who is not of any one particular gender, pedigree, background. We're looking for a candidate who understands the role of institutions, who understands that authority is not absolute, that has balance, that has the ability to adapt and to change. That's what we have in this candidate. I tried to do more reporting than being editorial in my comments, but I have to say, I I am excited to see Judge Jackson's be nominated and go before the Senate because at the end of the day, We are all looking for our institutions to be balanced. We're not looking for perfect people or perfect institutions. We want to have access to balanced institutions. We want institutions and the people that run them, that embody them, to have a connection with us and to us. We don't want to feel isolated. When we open a court door, when we open a boardroom door, we don't want to be isolated. We want to know that the people sitting around the boardroom, sitting in the office, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our institutions, that they have a connection to the people that they're serving. We want to know that our institutions and the people that staff them can see us, that we will be seen and we will be heard, that we won't be dismissed or invisible. Moreover, we want institutions and the people that run them. We want to trust them. We may not always agree with their decisions, but we can trust a decision when we know that the person that is writing it, we know that the author is coming from a place of fairness. And what is fairness built on? Fairness is built on having lived a variety of experiences, having a wide perspective, having been touched by life's joys, successes, and adversities, having more than one viewpoint. That is the birth of fairness. And that's what we're only asking that our institutions be built on. Fairness that we can trust, that if we don't agree with you, that we know that you've done your best and used your life experiences so that you're not using institutions as powerful structures and tools to harm, but you're using them in a balanced way and that you, you authority figures and the institutions are connected to us. Because as Judge Jackson said in that 2019 decision in ruling and in addressing what Trump and the administration at the time were trying to do, they were trying to use the judiciary, use the executive branch to say that the president 
has absolute power to say that that institution has the authority to rule in such a way that is going to be restrictive and have a negative impact. We don't want institutions like that. And we don't want our country to be staffed by institutions and by people that believe that. So that concludes this bonus episode. I'm always excited when I, like I said, to jump on and have this conversation with you, please leave a comment about what you think I would love to read. And maybe we'll, during the um, Senate hearings, maybe do a Instagram live. And I'd love to read your questions. If there's something that you, some due diligence you want me to look into about this candidate, I would love to do that and address that and come back and talk about that on another episode. So enjoy the rest of your day. If you're listening, to this in the evening or the morning. Enjoy. Until next time, be well. And a new thing that I wanted to add, trust yourself. Be well and trust. Take care. All information and content in this podcast is provided for entertainment purposes only. Nothing in this podcast shall constitute legal advice and shall not create an attorney-client relationship. This information is general and may not be applicable to your particular circumstances. You should review your particular circumstances with an attorney. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this podcast is hereby expressly disclaimed.